It's the Nipawin assistant coach who calls him first, asking if he is okay, if everyone is. Chris Beaudry is confused by the question, thinking, why wouldn't I, we, be okay? He isn't on the bus, you see. Nipawin, Saskatchewan, where the big game is that night, is closer to his farm than Humboldt, the town he coaches in. So he is driving there, meeting the team at the rink. Chris is 15 minutes behind the bus when he gets the call. The Nipawin coach has heard there has been an accident. When I first got the phone call that I had heard the team had been in an accident, and I thought, ah, tire, moose, something not big. As soon as I arrived on the scene, a massive feeling of cowardice came over me. Like, I want to hide, I need to run. Something, I, I couldn't explain it for the longest time, and I couldn't talk about it for the longest time. Was uh, I remember the first time I talked with my wife, I told her, hide everything that has a Bronco logo on it. When I come home, I, I, I don't want to be this person. I, I'm not a, I can't, this can't be my life. This isn't real. You need to know something now. This is a story of unbearable pain and grief. A story of not one, but two horrific bus crashes. And one young hockey coach, unfathomably tied to both. But it's also a story about finding a way back, out of the darkness. And if you have been there, or are still there, maybe it will help. That's why the coach is telling his story. I'd want to know that first. Otherwise, the rest is too hard. Chris Beaudry is terrible at hockey. Worst kid on the ice. He's 12, just moved from Calgary to a farm in Saskatchewan, and can barely skate. Baseball had been his thing in Alberta. I was brutal. Just awful, awful. Ankle bender, hands of stone. Went into peewee and would just get destroyed. The guys would run me over. I couldn't look up at all, but I loved it. By Bantam, the skating comes, along with some muscle. And Chris starts to find joy in running other kids over. He becomes a scrapper, making room for the skilled kids to do their thing. Makes him feel worthy on the team. It also has some side benefits. When he's 16, there is this big wrestling event on TV. My buddy and me wanted to go watch it, and we were up, I think, three goals in the third period, and we looked at each other and said, we're going to just fight on the draw? He's like, yeah, and we both just grabbed the guys off the face-off, got in a fight, got showered and undressed, and to the farm to watch some wrestling event before the game was even over. <laughs> Brilliant plan. The young fighter is also a drinker. Hardly rare for a fun-loving farm boy on the prairies. But Chris drinks a lot. He drinks to feel happy because he stopped liking himself sober. He now believes he was an alcoholic by 14. This is all adult self-reflection, of course. Back then, he's just a good Sasky boy, playing hockey, drinking with the boys, having a time. Chris is smart enough to realize early that a pro hockey career isn't an option. Farming is his future. His dad gives him his first cow at 12, and by the time he graduates high school, he has six. He's a full-time grain and cattle farmer the day after graduation. But the game still calls him. So after a few years away, he comes back to try coaching. He's 24, in his first year as an assistant with the Nakem Vikings of the Wheatland Senior Hockey League, when their team bus stops by the side of the highway. 
So many tiny moments, decisions can change everything, Chris says. We're playing in Keniston, Saskatchewan in senior men's provincials, and we were supposed to go to Imperial, and we had rooms booked at the Imperial Bar, and somehow the Imperial Bar got double booked, first time in the existence of the place, I'm sure. So after our game in Keniston, we decided to go to the city and stay there in Saskatoon. And while we were driving, we got about two, three miles outside of Saskatoon and pulled over to switch drivers. And we pulled over on the side of the highway, flashers on, just about to get everybody to get out to go take a leak. And a vehicle hit us at 130. The occupants uh, that hit us were instantly killed. And a lot of guys had injuries on our team. Chris is hurt the worst. He is standing near the front when the car hits and is launched into the air. When he comes to, his body is halfway out the front door of the bus. The most severe of his injuries is compartment syndrome in his right leg, where the muscle won't stop swelling. To avoid amputation, doctors cut the leg open and let the muscle swell outside the body. The pain is so bad, they tell Chris he's in shock. It takes him a full year to recover. I was already drinking enough at this point, and then being the guy that said, hey, let's stop, for the longest time, I told myself I killed those people. If I would have said, let's stop a mile earlier or later, then it wouldn't have been my fault. That guilt leads to more drinking, and the injury adds painkillers to his addiction equation. Being overprescribed uh, painkillers and then taking them for months on end, that, that kind of got another addiction on top of the alcoholism. It really spiraled fast. He has episodes where he just loses it, smashes things. You guys can look through some tape, but old rider games, there's me on the screen getting hauled away by the police. Rock Bottom comes in the ultimate cliche location, Vegas. He goes down for a hockey tournament, and he's drunk and high in a club. So I was in a club paying a DJ $100 a song to play George Strait over and over, and this had... Uh, it, it didn't make everyone happy at the club. They didn't want to hear another round of Troubadour. <laughs> and some, some heated words were said, and I was being chased by about uh, four or five angry women and a few men, and I just started running. I ran out of the club and went to run across the street and just literally missed a bus plowing me over. I sat on a curb a few blocks down and was just thinking, what am I doing? I just spent like $700 to hear Troubadour played seven times and I lost like four grand at the table and I'm like, what is going on? And I just seen a cab go by and I don't know why, I just said, yeah, airport, let's go. Left my clothes, my equipment, everything down at the hotel. I'd only been in Vegas for four hours and I'd lost about five grand and just hopped on a plane home. It's April 5th, 2014, the last time Chris Beaudry drank or used. Through Alcoholics Anonymous and a book called The Mindful Athlete by George Mumford, he comes to understand his demons and how to fight them. I realized that I beat myself up all the time, all day. When something would go wrong, I'd be like, yeah, you deserve that, you're a fucking loser. And I'd tell myself that in my own mind. And if, if I had a bad crop, I would tell, like, I don't control the weather, but I would make my, beat myself up about it. Oh, yeah, this is God getting back at you for being such a piece of shit. And I wasn't doing things that should have made me be a piece of shit, but I had such low self-esteem and hated who I was that 
that was how I talked to myself all the time. I started looking at that pattern and other patterns in my life. And when you're aware of them, that's the only way you're ever going to change them. I think it's the first step is that awareness and how you're living. Okay, oh, my drinking was a pattern. Oh, my thinking is a pattern. All the actions that I do in certain situations are patterns. Now, at least I can see them, I'm aware of them. Now we can start to implement change. As Chris recovers, he starts coaching again and lands a spot on the board of a junior A team, the Humboldt Broncos. He takes a hockey analytics course and has to interview a range of people for it. One of them is Broncos coach Darcy Hogan. The two bond instantly. He kind of thought the way I thought, especially since I got sober, I had got a a new look on life and a lot of his thoughts mirrored what I was looking at. What are those thoughts? That wins aren't the most important thing. And even I think until the NHL level, hockey's a development league the whole way through. So you gotta develop people. And once you get good people, wins just follow. In 2017, Darcy hires Chris to be one of his assistants with an arrangement that will let him continue to farm. I thought he was an honest guy. Like there was no, some of the coaches just giving you those bullshit coach answers for everything. We had a real talk about people. Everything was fun. You could be in the middle of a serious discussion and then all of a sudden there's a Billy Idol video on the computer and everything halts. He's like, hey, watch this. And we're watching uh, Billy Idol and Miley Cyrus singing some old tunes. So, And that, that was a daily occurrence. Chris steals his coaching motto from the book Inside Out Coaching by Joe Ehrman. Ehrman writes, I coach boys to become men of empathy, integrity, who will lead, be responsible, and change the world for good. And that was in Darcy and I's discussions. He needed somebody who had an understanding of addictions. You're working with 17 to 20-year-old boys. We know that alcohol and I mean, other drugs are a factor. They're, not everyone's a saint. What to me was special was, you know, there isn't ever a team that is 100% everyone's on board. There's not 100% good guys. We had guys that had problems. We had guys that had issues. But everyone was so close and kept each other in check that they made everyone else responsible for each other. There was enough good people there that the guys who did have problems, they could find help within their peers in the room. Nothing really ever had to come to us. It's a very close team. Chris becomes tight with a bunch of the Broncos. In Bryce Fisk, he sees a little of himself, a fun-loving kid with a mischievous side. Jacob Light and Morgan Gobey are among those he had coached years before in the Sask First hockey program. He loves all the players. They are his younger brothers. And now he sits alone in a fire truck where they have told him he must stay, staring out the window at the unimaginable. Seeing everybody moving around, knowing these are my boys, and I'm just far enough away to not be able to tell who it is, but I see some being moved into a line, covered up, some being rushed off. His mind stops functioning rationally. Because I seen all these green bags, and it was the sod piles I was seeing, but I kept telling myself, why do we have so many hockey bags? They're green bags. We've got hundreds of bags. What? This doesn't make sense. That feeling of cowardice that hit him as he came upon the scene stays with him the whole night. 
He goes through the motions, pretending, he calls it, doing what the police ask, identifying the injured at the hospital, consoling the broken at the church. And then at 5 a.m., the coroner calls. He asks Chris to come to the morgue. They need him to identify the bodies. He is the only one left to do it. And that feeling of cowardice flipped and turned into kind of a, a selfless service. I have a job to do. Okay, I, I can do this. This is something I can do. Because before that, I was like, I, I don't know what to do. There's nothing I can do. I, I kept wanting to help and was told, go sit, go wait. And you're just stuck with your thoughts. Like the first couple bodies I moved through were the ones the doctors had been able to clean up. And things just got progressively worse. Um, as it got worse, I, it was unbelievable. Body, different feelings you'd never feel took over. Um, different states of shock. Um, just a feeling of coldness that didn't leave me for months. I would have baths with just straight hot water and I wouldn't even feel hot. I just had this chill in my body for three to four weeks that never left. He remembers seeing Connor Lucan, who was one of the toughest kids he'd ever met. And he doesn't even look hurt. And I was looking at him being like, I don't want to do this alone. You're fucking fine. Get up. Help me. And that was the, like, I thought that was real. I thought that he was just laying there waiting for me to come and help me. And I couldn't piece together. That's the denial part of grief that he was actually dead. One of the last bodies Chris sees, we know now, is Parker Tobin's. But the coroner tells him it's Xavier LaBelle's. They told me it was Xavier. And I said, no, it's not. This isn't Xavier. They said, well, the, from everything we've gathered, it has to be. I'm like, this does not look like him. And again, I started to think, well, maybe it's just my mind again. Like, is everything mixing up? Days later, it's revealed the two players have been tragically mixed up. Tobin has passed away. LaBelle is alive. Sixteen members of the Broncos' family die in the accident. Tyler Bieber, a 29-year-old play-by-play announcer from Humboldt, Saskatchewan. Logan Boulay, a 21-year-old defenseman from Lethbridge, Alberta. Dana Bronze, a 24-year-old athletic therapist from Lake Lenore, Saskatchewan. Mark Cross, a 27-year-old assistant coach from Strasburg, Saskatchewan. Glenn Dirksen, a 59-year-old bus driver from Carrot River, Saskatchewan. Darcy Hogan, the team's 42-year-old head coach from Humboldt, Saskatchewan. Adam Harold, a 16-year-old defenseman from Montmartre, Saskatchewan. Brody Hintz, the team's 18-year-old statistician from Humboldt, Saskatchewan. Logan Hunter, an 18-year-old forward from St. Albert, Alberta. Jackson Joseph, a 20-year-old forward from St. Albert, Alberta. Jacob Light, a 19-year-old forward from Humboldt, Saskatchewan. Connor Lucan, a 21-year-old forward from Slave Lake, Alberta. Logan Schatz, a 20-year-old forward from Allen, Saskatchewan. Evan Thomas, an 18-year-old forward from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Parker Tobin, an 18-year-old goalie from Stony Plain, Alberta. Stephen Wack, a 21-year-old defenseman from St. Albert, Alberta. 13 others are injured, many seriously. Chris wanders, zombie-like, in the days after. A few of the Broncos' parents ask him to gather items from their boys' stalls in the dressing room. He searches for something, anything, that might bring someone a smile. 
When I was leaving with an armful of stuff, I looked up at our door that would lead out to the ice, and there was this believe sign. And the idea for this believe sign came about a month before playoffs, that Darcy, he brought the team together, and he told everyone, you guys got to believe we're not a fifth-place team. We're much better than that. We're the best team in the league when we're on, but the nights we get down on ourselves and we don't believe in ourselves is when we're poor. When we believe in ourselves, we can't be stopped. And we got shirts made for the boys. We found an old piece of puck board we cleaned up. We got everyone to sign it, and with a big jiffy marker, we wrote Believe on it and hung it above our door. At this point, the team had been started a sign-out sheet for jerseys and other items, and I felt that this Believe sign belonged to the families and not the team, so I got a, uh, a rink worker to come in Remove the sign from above our door. What did you tell them? I told them it was going to the families and that we had to cause a bit of a distraction. So after he took it down, he caused a little commotion so I could sneak out the back door with it under my jacket. Chris brings the sign to the waiting room of the intensive care unit where the families have all gathered. And I told them what the sign meant to the team. But then what it meant to me now was that I believed everyone was going to get out of the hospital. Everyone was going home. And that this sign needed to get passed around between all of the boys until we all, until they all got home. And that's exactly what the Broncos and their families do, one by one, as the injured boys heal. On the outside, Chris is trying to play the role of inspirational coach. Be strong and lead, like Darcy would have. But he feels out of body floating helplessly through various stages of shock. I've kind of thought of this idea that shock is like, to me, is like a math equation. Your grandpa dies, 10 people reach out, you feel shock for half a day. A parent dies that is 20 years before they should, and 50 people reach out, and you feel shock for a few days. A child dies, a thousand people reach out, you feel shock for weeks. We had millions of people reaching out, and this shock lasted full on for me for two weeks, but then stages of it lasted months and months and months. For that shock, he is forever grateful. I know that thoughts are real, and I know that love is real, and I know compassion is real. And there were millions of people sending out thoughts, love, and compassion, and I have to send a thank you to all of them because they kept me in shock because There is no way that our human mind, a mind can break in a situation like that. A heart can't. And their love, compassion, and thoughts kept my mind from breaking. Five months after the accident, the Broncos hold a ceremony for the victims and survivors of the crash after the team's home opener. 29 banners are unveiled, one for each Bronco on the bus. We will honor the 29 individuals and their families. Chris, the 30th Bronco, stands arm-in-arm with the surviving players at one end of the rink, watching, sobbing. He's still lost, but in the months that follow, the shock, anger, and endless grief start to fade ever so slowly. Chris begins to breathe again. He meditates. He uses the concepts he has learned in Alcoholics Anonymous and the coaching books he has read. He can now recognize when moments of anger and grief and the desire to drink and use are coming. And when he is aware of them, he can stop them. I just didn't want to feel that way anymore, Chris says. I wanted to talk about it. 
I'd go to AA and I would just weird everyone out when all I wanted to do was talk about death and not alcoholism. So my sister and a counselor I was working with at the time got the idea to create a group that could share about grief. We called it Rise Together. Um, We kind of took the steps that Kubler-Ross, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, set up for grieving, added shock to that and set it up kind of like an AA meeting. Anyone could come in and just bare your soul to people. The group isn't just for the Broncos' family. Anyone going through grief can come. But several relatives of those who died in the crash show up. Chris holds nothing back. I could talk to mums and tell them what it felt like being in front of their boy, being the first person who knew them, who knew their boy, to see them after they had passed. And they could tell me their stories. And that was taking that pain from the pit of your stomach and putting it right in front of your face and you're looking at it. And that, to me, was moving through grief. Just like in AA, what I found is I would learn something from someone else's story about myself. And I could be sitting in one of these Rise Together meetings, and someone would say a phrase that would just click and be like, that's it, that's what I'm feeling right now. That's what's happening with me and what I can't get past. And I would hear that from people who would lost family members 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, and we kept hearing, well, at times, it will get better. And that helped. I get put that hope, okay, here we go. It, it, maybe it's a month away, maybe it's a year away, and I'm not going to feel like this 24 hours a day. It'll be 23 hours and 55 minutes, but that's going to be the best fucking five minutes I'm going to live. Like, I'm going to stretch that out so far. Chris has been through hell. The years of self-loathing, the drinking and drugs that came with it, the horrific coincidence of two team bus accidents. But he knows that the families who lost sons, daughters, husbands, and dads, and the boys who were on that bus and survived to remember it, went through worse. And are still going through it. He wants to make it clear he would never try to tell their story, only his own. And for right now, because right now is all Chris Beaudry believes in, his story ends like this. I'm going to be okay. Beauties is written by me, James Duffy, and produced by Christoph Mamona with the support of TSN and Bell Media. The book Beauties is available wherever you get your books. 